0: All right, so once again, we're here at the American Astronomical Society meeting in Honolulu, Hawaii, and uh, I got a chance to catch up with uh, David Kipping. David. Thanks great to see you uh, in person, finally.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, Hawaii is uh, you know, probably one of the most spectacular places you could possibly be asked to go for a conference, and this meeting is, is a wonderful place. Well, that's what I'm told. I mean, I don't think I've left the halls of this building <laughs> except for walking to and from You're the hotel. You're probably working a bit harder than I am. Maybe. But it sounds like, yeah. yeah
0: d- d- Chad, uh, at some point, got a chance to feel the sand uh, in, between his, <laughs> in between his toes before I uh, dragged him back to work, so you know. It, it, is, it is like paradise here, so this, this is
1: one of the, the plus sides of being an astronomer is that we get to sometimes travel to places like this and yeah. talk to my colleagues here. So yeah.
0: Now, uh, you of course do the Cool Worlds mm. Lab at Columbia, so yeah. give people a, a bit of a interest yeah, on that. Yeah, sure,
1: so I, the name of my research group is actually the Cool Worlds Lab. And uh, we named our YouTube channel after, the, after that, so it's called Cool Worlds. And uh, people always ask me, like, you know, why? Why do you? Why do you call it Cool Worlds? Is it like are they cool? Dope, you know? Yeah. Like, like, does it mean that? And it's really because we're interested in planets which are not hot Jupiters. It's probably the simplest way of saying it. These are planets which are far away from their stars. They could be potentially habitable. They could have liquid water on their surfaces, or even beyond that, they could have icy rings or icy moons. And of course. Um, something we're well known for in my team is thinking about looking for exomoons. So these plants have always been special to me. We named the the team after it, and uh, then we started our channel where we talk a lot about our research, of course, um, but we also get into some of the more... Uh, interesting ideas about, you know, are we alone in the universe and future possibilities, futurism in astronomy and interstellar travel prospects and things like this as well. So a topic that I wanted to talk with you that that I've been thinking
0: a lot about, and Mm. you did a whole video sort of at the end of November about this, was just this idea of, like, we always think about our efforts to observe aliens, to explore the mm-hmm. universe, to try and detect signs of biosignatures. But there is always this counter to that, which is the more you realize what we're capable of observing out there, mm. you have to think if the aliens are out there, are they observing us here? Yeah. So what have, you know, based on sort of the current state of the art,
1: what do you think about how other civilizations could be observing us? I mean, yeah, when you look ahead to the sort of telescopes that we're developing and even to some degree already have, you can already uh, establish that if an alien was watching the solar system, uh, either they might get lucky and if they're in the ecliptic plane to us, they would see us transit in front of our star. That would reveal an enormous amount of information to them so they'd be able to tell how big the planet is they'd be able to tell our orbital period they'd be able to tell that there was at least the right temperature for liquid water on the surface and if they um, had the capabilities of james webb space telescope or maybe something a little bit more powerful than james webb they'd be able to smell the atmosphere so they would be able to know that there was um, oxygen ozone uh, maybe even uh, the pollutants that we produce so Uh, You can think about the chemical uh, pollutants that factories are producing. That kind of stuff would be detectable. Uh, CFCs, for instance, using uh, futuristic, uh, but maybe not super futuristic, like 20 years ahead of us, uh, telescopes. So I think if there was an alien civilization watching us um, and we were transiting, they would almost certainly be able to tell that not only is this planet habitable, inhabited, but there is a civilization uh, making, making do and maybe developing on this planet. If the planet was not transiting, it gets a little bit harder. Um, they wouldn't have that shortcut, but they would still eventually, surely be able to detect us. We're thinking about building this telescope called uh, Louvoir and Habex right now. These are telescopes which will take direct images of the Earth. They'll block out the sun, just reveal a photo of the Earth, and then you could figure out all the information in the same way.
0: And what are some of the other ways that we are leaking our existence to the universe? I mean, you talk about making a direct observation mm. of the atmosphere, but when I think about humanity's impact on the planet, that's just one tiny fraction of, of everything that we're that we're doing. Yeah. So w- what else are we doing that maybe aliens would be able to sense?
1: Yes, yeah, so there's, there's a slew of ideas, and these kind of come into the ideas of what we call techno-signatures. Um, so for example, there's the heat island effect that cities have. I know this from New York City, so the, you know, in the summer it's much, it's like two degrees, three degrees Celsius warmer in New York City than it is uh, in the rest of the state. And so actually you could see that if you had an infrared telescope, which had the ability to resolve the surfaces, and that's actually uh, not completely uh, impossible to imagine building something like that, Um, the Colossus telescope is an example of a telescope that really wants to do this, then uh, you can actually figure out that there are heat pockets which are consistent with what you'd expect from cities and you can even calculate that the temperature difference is kind of similar to the what we have here on Earth with the heat trapping effect. So um, you could literally just detect the heat from the cities yeah. as the planet is turning. So you'd be able to tell, you know, you can imagine taking this a, a little bit further and having like mega cities and things on these uh, worlds and being able to tell, okay, there's basically five or six metropolis islands on this planet and it looks like most of the population are living there. Um, you could maybe even use that information to say something about the distribution of continents and oceans and uh, the habitable regions of the planet itself, of course. And then in space, I mean, this is very poignant right now because with Starlink going up and sending many, many more satellites into space than uh, we've had uh, in the past, uh, there's increasing interest that perhaps we could even detect the satellite systems, the artificial satellite systems. Of other civilizations as well.
0: Would, would um, that be like by the by the glint of their like how would how would you
1: actually the, the heat from them? How would you detect that? Uh, if there's enough of them, then they will cast a shadow when they pass in front of the star. So it's like having a swarm of dust almost yeah. around your it, almost like a, a like ring, another atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so you would have a, a ring system that would be made up of, of very large particles. I mean, these like boulder-sized objects. There that you, the reason why you'd probably be able to tell that they're artificial is because they would live in the um, what's called the clark x you know the clark belt these are the orbits which are geosynchronous with the earth so um, if you saw there was a a collection of satellites which are preferentially found in a location which happens to be geosynchronous with the planet which it goes around, there's no reason naturally why satellites would find themselves in that configuration. Um, that would be a, a pretty clear indicator that somebody had put that there to, right. to monitor their own planet. Okay. So these are the kind of things we're getting interested in. Um, you can even think about in the future, uh, climate change solutions, there is some talk of building a giant shade in space to cool down the Earth. It's one of the more extreme options uh, for, for saving Earth, but um, if another civilization runs into a similar problem, they may very well do that, and these shades are huge, so again, there'd be a very easy signature for us to look for. Um, possibly a glint, but probably the most easy one, again, would just be the light it blocks out as it passes in front of its star. And
0: it would give it like a very specific signature that would be absolutely artificial to see this thing pass in front
1: yeah and and also the location would probably give it away again so you'd see the the stable position for it would be in one of these lagrange points in between the earth and the sun a lagrange point is kind of a point where the the gravity of the earth and the gravity of the sun are sort of balanced out and so you have stable or quasi-stable orbits there and we are putting for instance the james webb space telescope in such an orbit many of our future uh, telescopes are going there. And so if you see someone putting uh, a collection of, of material in this location, it's a little bit suspicious because there's obvious technical reasons why a civilization would prefer to put stuff there. Um, and of course, if you can um, uh, see it transiting, you would know actually the shape based off the transit light curve. We did some work in my team on this. Emily Sanford, one of my graduate students, we came up with this idea called shadow imaging. So just from the way in which the star decreases in brightness and then comes back to its normal brightness, you can use that dip to figure out what was the shape of the thing which went in front of the star. And so you could potentially figure out this thing is not a sphere. It's you know, a giant triangle or a giant uh, sheet of uh, material that's been put in front of the thing. Um, And then that would obviously be a very clear indication that someone put it up there. And that would be, uh, like, if an alien
0: civilization wanted to give us an easy way to find them, they could relatively inexpensively put up something weird, like a triangle or something, to orbit around their star, and that would be detectable. Absolutely. That's sure. an
1: idea from Luke Arnold as well, which maybe you're, yep. you're, you're thinking of there. So yeah. he wrote that idea in, I think, 2003. Yep, And yep. he yep. had this idea, to, not even just a triangle, but you could even have some primitive communication. You could even um, have like uh, pillars of material which, uh, which pass in front and they could have like the prime number sequence or something right. encoded within. So you like, could have like some like, very simple- We do math. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah Here. or yeah. So uh, there's certainly a lot of, I, I'm, personally I kind of think that's a little bit of a expensive Way of doing it. The advantage of that method is it kind of lasts forever. It's like a beacon that you build that doesn't really require any more power. Once you've built it, it, it will last forever and right. just maintain itself. We were here. But it takes a lot of energy to build the thing in the first place. So uh, when we read that paper, we had this idea of hey, why not um, use lasers instead? Because there you can create all the same kind of bizarre transit shapes that you want to create. Um, yes, you require power to do it. Um, uh, continuously, but at every single instance that you want to do it, the power requirements are very modest. You're talking like uh, megawatts of power, whereas to build, you know, a, a planet-sized disk. At the orbit around the sun, very close in. That's just unimaginable amounts of right. energy compared to what we can do. So this is something we could actually do right now using lasers.
0: Now, what about our radio signals? Now, obviously, you know, people messages have been sent out into space. Yeah. But people always are fascinated by this idea that there is this bubble of radio transmissions mm-hmm. leaving the Earth from the moment we started transmitting. How detectable is is that right
1: now? It it would be. Difficult to detect a lot of that uh, leakage radiation and increasingly difficult as time goes on. Um, a lot of our communications are actually switching from uh, radio transmissions to using fiber optics because it's actually far more efficient to send information that doesn't leak. You know, right. you don't want that leakage. That's the opposite of what you want when you're sending data. Um, so it, there's been a window of maybe 100 years where we were fairly radio bright. Um, but even then, to detect Earth's own leakage... Uh, you would require, you know, uh, things which are uh, hundreds, uh, maybe even a kilometer-sized radio detector at sort of 10, 20 light-years distance. Yeah, but a kilometer-sized radio detector is under construction right here on Earth. That's true. That's true. So it, it, it's, if there was a dedicated program here, you know, using the SKA, for, for instance, that would probably be your best bet that was primarily focused on looking for leakage. Um, I think they could maybe put some interesting upper limits, probably only out to sort of a distances of uh, tens of light years. That's what i would heard. I've heard
0: that the, the square kilometer array will be able to
1: detect, say,
0: air traffic control out to about 100 light years away.
1: Yeah, that sounds that sounds kind of similar to the. And so,
0: if somebody wanted to make a beefier version of the Square Kilometer Array, something that was the Square 100 Kilometer Array, the Square 1000 Kilometer Array, something in space, something with a giant baseline, a giant space-based radio interferometer, with the only goal is to sense alien civilizations.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, uh, you know, dismiss the idea out of hand, but I I think uh, my personal. This all comes down to personal beliefs a little bit when you're talking about looking for techno signatures. but my personal sort of uh, belief is that it, it's intrinsically wasteful to let that energy escape into space. And um, you can just send so much more information down a fiber optic or a laser beam than you can by using uh, these isotropic or uh, high gain antennas that I think civilizations, this is all, again, just yep. xenopsychology, guessing what another civilization <laughs> yeah, yeah, will do. Yeah. My guess is that uh, radio transmission is a, um, a, a sporadic thing. They do it for a short interval of time, and then they'll eventually transition to, right. to something that really becomes fairly difficult to detect remotely. And what about something more exotic, like the neutrinos coming
0: out of our fusion reactors or you know things like that as we transition yeah. into new technologies?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I think there is a little bit of literature about that. Um, uh, Certainly if if a civilization was using a lot of uh, fusion energy on their surface, that would produce a neutrino flux. Um, There is some work, I think, uh, looking at whether the ice cube detector, for instance, could possibly detect that. Um, It would be a little bit challenging to... um, Uh, send any information or interpret any information with a neutrino beam, but maybe you could detect that uh, there was a spot in the galaxy that was anomalously neutrino bright. Whether you could then assign that, therefore, that means a civilization unambiguously, I think that would be difficult. Because how do you know, I mean, we see this all the time in astrophysics, like the fast radio burst recently, or Voyager star, just because you see something that's surprising or anomalous, um, yes, you could explain it with aliens but um, very often it just turns out there's another explanation down the road so uh, my favorite technosignature is something that's a little bit uh, less ambiguous than that Um, so I think if you had uh, a prime number sequence so that's for me that that would seem to be a very difficult thing to imagine the universe naturally producing without an intelligence behind it but that's assuming that the
0: civilization like us we want to share with the universe that we exist, yeah. and so on the flip side of this, there's some, been some great science fiction written. A lot of people are familiar with this book, the The Three Body Problem, yeah. and they and they have this idea of what's called the Dark Forest. Mm. And in the Dark Forest, you know, you haven't gotten there yet. But the gist is is that <laughs> spoiler alert, <it's>, yes, <laughs> that the the, the 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 universe is a dangerous place, and it's best to keep your head down.
1: Yeah,
0: and and as we learn more as we develop our capacity to be able to, to you know, see the larger universe and, and de- potentially detect these other civilizations mm-hmm. and we start to come to realize how vulnerable we might be, what can we do to kind of rein that in and mitigate the messages that we are, so less te-
1: techno signatures, what can we do? Yeah, I mean, this is very much what Stephen Hawking was sort of speaking about before his uh, passing, of course, was that he was very worried that, you know, we, METI, for instance, the the active SETI component, where you really broadcast messages out saying, hey, we're here, please come and talk to us. Uh, he was not supportive of that right. at all and and felt like, you know, we should stay quiet because maybe uh, he'd read the three-body problem before it came out or <laughs> yeah. something. I don't know. but um, And I can understand that. I am um, I'm, I'm, Again, I think I'm a little bit skeptical of it, that we could genuinely hide ourselves at our current technology level from a truly much more advanced civilization. Um, we have been a very uh, <laughs> simple species for the last million years, right, we were living in caves and hunter-gatherer civilization before that, so uh, this this episode we're in appears to be fairly transitionary. Uh, we will probably at some point stabilize out to some a more advanced state, and uh, it's very difficult to hide ourselves from this unknown capabilities. We already talked about how they could detect the atmosphere. They would know there was pollutants in the Earth's atmosphere, for instance. Uh, they could detect our satellites around us. Um, maybe in the future, we might do asteroid mining and activities like this, and that would even more give us away. So I think it's gonna be difficult to, uh, to truly hide ourselves. So personally, I'm a bit more on the side that it's a little bit futile to, um, to get too hung up on it. Although having said that, I did. Uh, did a paper. I did a paper which kind of pointed out that we could hide ourselves from certain types of surveys. We could hide hide ourselves from our own technology. Um, could we hide ourselves from a much more sophisticated technology? I mean, who knows? Because who knows right. what that technology even. So looks so like. talk about that. So how would you how would
0: you hide yourself from the transit astronomers, alien transit astronomers?
1: Yeah, I, I feel really bad about this paper because um, we. The title of the paper was I think a cloaking device yeah. for transiting plants which just sounded so cool that we, had, we had to use yeah. it exactly yeah. it, was, it was like that's such a slick i was you know big star trek fan so the idea of having like a romulan version of a cloaking <laughs> device was yeah. like very awesome um but actually one of the most important messages of this paper before i talk about how we do it is that this exact same system that we can use for cloaking the earth could also be used to broadcast our presence very efficiently and cheaply. So the idea is that you know when you, uh, the most successful method for looking for exoplanets right now is the transit method. I'm sure your, your viewers have heard about this many, many times, but in a nutshell, it's just when you have uh, a planet pass in front of a star, it blocks out some of the light. And that's really all it is. So uh, in order to hide that planetary signature, you just need to do the opposite, you need to emit a little bit more light off the other side of the planet during the transit and uh, lasers are a very efficient way of doing that um, because they're collimated, which means the energy is trapped in a very confined beam then you don't have to outshine the star, I mean the star is obviously you know 10 to the 26 or something watts of energy but it's going out in all directions randomly whereas a laser uh, has all of, you know, it's much less energy but it's confined in such a narrow region that when you view it down the beam, it can actually be comparably bright to the star. And so that's kind of the idea that um, if you, uh, if we were concerned about hiding ourselves, we could easily calculate when um, stars in the ecliptic would all be able to see us transit, we could easily calculate when they would see us transit, and just for about uh, six to 13 hours, depending on uh, how far in and out of the plane they are, we would just shine a laser on them, turn it on, but a megawatt laser for something like uh, a few hours wouldn't really cost too much energy. And we would be able to essentially remove our transit signature. Wow! Um, and you can even, if you wanted to, just selectively remove biosignatures, for instance. So you, you might say, let's keep the planet in there. Let's just hide the, um, the variations on top of that which are caused by things like ozone and mm-hmm. things like methane in the atmosphere, things which would give away the Earth's inhabited. Right. So then the Earth looks like there's a planet there, but it looks like a dead world. How, so how do you hide the chemical fingerprint of, of ozone in the atmosphere? Well, it's tricky, but we, I think it is doable even with a little bit scaled up from today's technology, maybe. Um, so there's these uh, super continuum lasers which exist. Um, now, I'm, I'm, I'm not someone who builds lasers or works with lasers regularly, so this is all sort of uh, reading of the literature. Yeah. Um, but these lasers, they're kind of clever. They, they can tune the frequency they're using, but they can tune it very, very fast, so they can kind of sweep across the spectrum very, very quickly and you can ask it to sort of hang around at one frequency a little bit longer than other frequencies, right. and that can therefore cause it to create a spectrum. Right. And that spectrum would almost be the inverse of the biosignature spectrum, and thus you would just sort of cancel out the, the ozone feature, uh, you know, like as a big divot in the absorption line of the ozone, you just sort of scooped that out, right. just in the same way that we do for the entire transit, if you want to do the whole transit. So um, it's a, it would take a little bit of finesse um, but uh, I think it would be uh, quite plausible to, at the very minimum, attenuate that signal right down or even completely remove it and make it look like the planet is not as uh, right. habitable as it might right. first appear. Hide
0: the cities, hide the <laughs> chemical fingerprint, yeah. hide the tr- you know even the transiting of the planet if you needed to, so that any alien... Yeah. So, um, if there are alien civilizations out there, do you feel fairly certain that we that they know we're here, or that there is at least mean, life on that there's yeah, least life on
1: this world? So I, I, okay, I'm going to take your question fairly. That assuming they are out there, if I think yeah, if I assume they are out there, and my own opinion is probably the opposite of that, but if I assume they yeah. are out there, then um, yeah, I think they would they would if they're within a uh, 200 light year bubble of us then I think they would know there was industrial activity happening on the Earth. If there were further out than that, then of course there hasn't been enough uh, lifetime right. travel yet for, for them to know about us. But they would know, uh, I suspect, the Earth was a blue inhabited marble right. where there, w- there was evidence of photosynthesis, there was evidence for a red edge, which is a, a clear signature of photosynthesis on the planet. Um, and maybe they'd see the ozone. Um, so I think most of the galaxy, if they if they had sufficient telescopes to do so, would clearly be capable of knowing that we were here. So. And, and when will we know where they are? Well, that's what we're trying to uh, you know build right now with these new telescopes. Um, James James Webb is probably the the first serious strike that we have at maybe doing this it's only going to work in very niche cases right um, so if we had a very uh you know proxima Centauri b uh, if it was transiting would have been almost the perfect target for it you need something that's a very small star with a transiting planet in front of it and it needs to be very close by to us yeah if you kind of tune all of those parameters just right then james webb has a shot at detecting biosignatures if it used up a very significant portion of its observing time. But it's just about doable. Right. Um, hopefully TESS might find some planets just right like that. I mean, we even heard about 700D, uh, TY700D, yep. yesterday. Yeah, like yesterday, which, yeah. which I don't think is maybe quite the right target for James Webb, but it's, it's sort of an example of this. Um, and then uh, down the line, we're hoping to build these grand observatories that uh, we've been speaking about at this meeting, things like Habex and Louvois, whose principal objective is to image these planets um, which is very exciting because then you don't even require a transiting yeah. planet anymore. They could be in any uh, configuration, more or less, and you could take photos of these things, get the spectrum out, and just like you know how Carl Sagan talked about the Earth being a blue dot, you would you'd really see these blue dots in your images and uh, have a, even be able to detect all the the biosignatures yeah. in the atmosphere. So yeah. that would be um, something that we're talking about in the 2030s, 2040s, being able to do. So we're like. Couple of decades away. So you hear that yeah. aliens? You got like
0: thirty more cells years. Hide yourselves now, because we're <laughs> going <gonna>, we're, <laughs> we're coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're not. We're not gonna get anywhere near them. that's a whole other issue. Uh,
1: David, uh, great to chat with you today. Where can people yeah. find out more about what you're working on? Sure. If you go on uh, YouTube, that we have our YouTube channel that's called Cool Worlds. You can just slash Cool Worlds Lab, and you'll find us on there. Or you can even follow me on Twitter, David underscore Kipping. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Fraser. All right. <laughs> All okay. right, perfect.